So hey Dan, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Anish? Yeah, I'm good too. And how is the situation there now? Uh, we've just gone into tier four, so um, I guess it's a good time to be doing things virtually. I, I I mean I know you personally, so for my subscribers and audience who is watching this podcast, uh, I just want to know more about yourself. So just a casual intro of who are you and what you do. Okay, so um, I'm Daniel Miller. I am a compositor mm-hmm. primarily, mm-hmm. and I'm also making a short film, which I'm doing everything as a yeah. filmmaker. Yeah. I've been compositing for about. Almost a decade, I think. <laughs> I started also quite late. I started when I was like thirty, when I actually started composing. Before that, I had um, I'd done like a general filmmaking media studies degree. Yeah. Um, and I did a bit of everything. I done my short film, so I'd done all the different roles, mm-hmm. even on, but on sort of indie, no budget, and then had done other jobs at the time, and yeah. really focused on the proper career path within VFX when yeah. I was yeah almost thirty. So, and now I'm forty three. <laughs> and yeah also i've been um i did a a course for plural site using yeah. v-ray yeah which was based on question two mm-hmm. and the short film that we're working on we're going to be using v-ray and we're going to be producing some tutorial content based around the short film as well further down the line um and that's it yeah now situation is a bit crazy and a lot of things are happening in the industry so uh What's the future of visual effects and uh, animation industry in simple terms? I mean, it can be your imagination or your ideas of future. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are people, you know, uh, much um, much more involved in making decisions and you know, much smarter than me that are actually deciding some of this stuff. But you can see things that are that are just obvious. They're really apparent. The real time stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Unreal Engine is going to be important mm-hmm. to yeah. a lot of things, and I think that's going to have. Um, and I think it's also trying to integrate that with some traditional things because the tendency in the industry, as long as I've been working, is to allow the client to defer making a, a decision mm-hmm. later and later in the process. If you did, if you did an explosion, a practical explosion, that was it. You, you, <laughs> what you filmed and what you had in the cam was what, what was there. Yeah. I mean, if you actually watch the old Jewel, there are shots, you know, there's a shot with a reflection of Steven Spielberg, and that's in the film. You know, <laughs> nowadays, that would go to prep, that would get painted out. So there's an element of, you know, people have been, clients have been getting used to making the decision later and later. The software has been allowing that. I mean, yeah. And, you know, Baselight for grading can do amazing. I've, I've seen DI ops and, and colorists do, you know, VFX, like paint out. Mm-hmm. So it's not even when you get to the last minute and they're like, oh, but there's a booming shot. <laughs> they don't even need to go back to to comp or to um, yeah. you know external vendor for prep. They can sometimes, if it's simple, they can do it in uh, in the grade. Yeah. So they, I think the clients have been getting a little bit spoiled in that sense. Now the the advantage of real time is I think it's it can be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've got the limits of um, physicality. Yeah. Physicality of the actual screens themselves, which are going to get better because you've got lag and, and things like that. But also the your render can only be as good as Unreal can render in real time. Yeah. Um, you can't up the settings and have it slow down because if it slows down, you can't use it. Um, but on the on the other hand, so I think that's going to be important. But on the other hand, that also means you have to change your mentality. You have to prepare everything in advance. You've made your decisions beforehand. I think there's a bit of. I know that on the Mandalorian they had some green screens. Sometimes sections were green screen. Mm-hmm. I think there's been some discussion of like having the screens run at a higher frame rate, so every other frame is green. 
yeah. is dangerous because then <laughs> you do all the work beforehand, you do all the stuff, and then they still change their mind and they that you end up doing a green screen key. But um, you know that that idea of alternating frames that, that comes from stop motion animation. That's how they key mm. stop motion stuff. Yeah. You know, they have two lighting setups. Um, anyway, I, so I think that's. But what I think is interesting is that mentality might filter down into the line if you think of like tv dramas and things i mean I'm, i've done so many screening sets on phones and and computer screens and we're just compositing a background why is that that's because they haven't been able to make a decision i mean obviously if it's a spaceship hard or something that doesn't exist and it needs to <laughs> but if it's, a, if it's an iphone there's yeah. really no reason you couldn't decide the graphics beforehand and and have it in the phone when you when you're on set and you get all the advantages that they have, you know, when they do the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. but obviously for much smaller production, for much yeah. smaller things. I mean, screen comps aren't expensive. They're, they're, they're like what they're usually like twenty minute, two hour shots. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're not, you know, they're things that you you bang out loads of them. But mm-hmm. I mean, they can also become really hard if, when people are doing crazy things. I've seen people, you know, like a police interrogation, and they're they're whacking the. <laughs> the yeah. iPad for, yeah. for out of the person's hand and then you're trying to track that, you know, it's madness. So, <laughs> um, so you can think of situations where, you know, they could actually, but the, but the thing about screen comps is there are a lot of them, you know, mm. often hundreds in a show, hundreds yeah. and hundreds. So even if they're only two hour shots, you know, you might have 400 shots. Well, you know, do you need them? Because you're not doing it all before. Yeah. So I think sometimes once they start thinking about what can they having to prepare things beforehand mm-hmm. that might change things that even don't use this technique, even if they're not using Unreal Engine, they're not using LED screens. If they're starting to think, let's plan on the graphics beforehand, you know, then that might filter down to all, all kinds of production. Who knows? Yeah. Lots of things might happen in 2021. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I think we're going to still be working from home. I mean, it's going to be an option. I mean, people yeah. will go into the studio, but you don't have to. And that's, yeah. that's a big thing. I think ultimately that's a positive thing. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, for juniors, I think it's great to be in a room with mm. experienced artists around. I think it's very yeah. important. But I think you need to be in the office every day. And even <laughs> when, forget about COVID, even just like with colds and flus, I've, you know, every time I've been in the winter in a studio this time of year, it's just a room full of people drinking lemsip and coughing and sneezing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like at least it, even if it's just you come in the office most days, but even if you have a cold, you just stay work from home. Mm. You don't have to take a sick day. You still do your job. You still deliver your shots. Yeah. I have went through your LinkedIn profile and, and uh, you were an instructor for plural site. So um, what is your good and bad experiences teaching visual effects online? Okay, so I only did the one, I mean, I actually only did the one um, course professionally. Yeah. Um, and I also uh, do some mentoring for, I think, Prospero, which you know as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a bit more informal, and I've got some things on my blog of just, you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah. setups and things like that. Yeah. The course for Plaza was interesting because it was in V-Ray, so they actually were, I proposed to do a course in Nuke, mm-hmm. and they were... already fully booked for new courses. Um, and so actually, V-Ray, which was like my secondary skill of doing 3D where I'm, I'm weaker, mm-hmm. I had to, because you have to learn to do uh, any kind of um, teaching content. And the other thing is in production, sometimes it's just enough to get you over the line. You do, you work out, even if it's not the right way of doing it, if it works and it looks good in the shot, then, then it goes out the door. But if you're going to teach people 
a certain approach, it needs to be actually the correct mm. approach, the most yeah. efficient. Um, and so, you know, I had to do, a, I did a lesson on that, which is about troubleshooting your vendors and the things that come up and how to spot why your beauty passes aren't adding up to the correct result. Yeah. And that was actually quite hard because I didn't really know. <laughs> like when I started doing it, I was like, oh. And then I, I, I honestly spent days like actually re-rendering and re-rendering going, ah, okay, so that's why. And so, you know, that was one aspect. Um, the only other, everything else was positive. I learned a lot. Um, you you get, a, I got paid a fee up front. Mm-hmm. You get a small fee yeah. sort of monthly, which is a great thing about these sort of professional courses. Mm-hmm. But the only downside is that obviously being for a specific software and a specific version, mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a there's a reality that it's going to go out of date. You, Updated, you know, yeah. there are other things you could teach like drawing where yeah. your your course could be up to date forever. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, or yeah. but whereas it, obviously if you do nuke version 12 great and then you know two years down the line it's new version 15 and (laughs) most of it's going to be relevant i mean most of the time the techniques are the techniques but every now and again things change completely changing so yeah so you know um yeah i really enjoyed it i i learned a lot um i bought a nice microphone (laughs) 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 which has actually been really useful in lockdown because uh, now i have you know i mean it it can it also clarifies your ideas because you have to think about well why do i do it that way because you you do sometimes it's just because when you were a junior the person that you looked up to that was more senior said this is the way to do it and it might even be wrong, you know, people are like, they're not gods. So sometimes, you know, I, I remember like even the EXR settings, I remember one, we had a supervisor, one of the first places I worked and he, um, he said, you know, like, uh, zip 16, you know, everything set zip 16. And so, and it's, it's a bigger number than one, zip mm-hmm. one, zip 16. I thought zip 16 was higher quality. So even later on as a lead, I started implementing that we would do zip 16. And then I sat and read, Mm-hmm. Must be bored, but I sat and read the ILM Open EXR document or the entire document to just yeah, see yeah. what were the best settings. And mm-hmm. then it was like, no, Zip One is it's because it's it's by every line, and Zip Sixteen is just every sixteen line, so it's a lower quality. Um, mm-hmm. And when I realised that, I thought, oh my god, what have I done? I've been, you know, <laughs> lowering the quality of all these renders. Yeah. Sometimes it's very important to even if you think you know something, just check, just like actually read the documentation because, mm. you know, yeah. you hear things, people tell you things, like even people, like you see artists doing things like plussing uh, alphas together, mm, you're like, yeah. um, plus alphas, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, there's just stuff that you need, you do need to just check sometimes yeah. and, that's you know, awesome. Plus a load of alphas and then clamp them. Oh, it's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. check, check, check what, check the right way to do things. Yeah. Um, even if you think, you know, even if, you know, a supervisor, <laughs> an old lead told you to do it yeah. years ago, things change. The right way to do things changes yeah. as well. Even when so. I, when I started YouTubing, when I started making tutorials, I used to get a lot of feedbacks from a lot of uh, experienced professionals. So uh, I used to think for first, like, uh, why I'm getting all this feedback? I'm just sharing my thoughts on this video. But then later I thought like, okay, I should uh, treat these feedbacks as very constructive one. And I took uh, that and uh, then I decided, okay, we should not make content like for the sake of making content. We should explore and that if you are well sure of that idea uh, that it is the, it is working, then make video on that, make tutorial on that. 
or else don't try that <laughs> so yep so and, i think you're open yeah. if you declare i don't know i've just started learning this is what i think to do then you're inviting feed but that's different from a tutorial right that's i, I think that that kind of vlogging your mm-hmm. your learning process can be can be valuable too yeah that, that's that's you, true YouTube, you are like this is how i'm doing yeah that's a, true yeah a clean up shot in nuke Yeah. I don't know if it's the right way to do it, and then you know, then yeah, you before, before YouTubing was not like uh, this much busy, and nowadays there are a lot of tutorials, a lot of stuff is coming up in YouTube. So now everyone has their own profiles in YouTube, and everyone is making videos on their ideas and or how they are doing a short or yeah, it's going on. So we should understand what is the best, and we should we should not judge this is wrong for compositing. there there is not like uh, this is only method there are thousands of methods for doing one single work so we met each other in uh, prospella and so uh, can you tell us more about prospella and how it can be useful for young generation all around the world yeah um so i i'm not sure even how i found out about but <laughs> i think it was a, a um, an advert on linkedin or something like that yeah maybe um, access, the idea is we have podcast Yeah, and so the idea is you're mentoring um, someone that wants to work in the industry. Um, they could be um, someone that's maybe studying at university, someone that's not in a traditional background. I mean, one thing is also people that might traditionally not be in VFX. That you know, there are underrepresented people from working class backgrounds, people from ethnic minorities, at least in Britain. Um, there are less women, and so on. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to try and help those people. break into the industry because it's a bit of a once you're out when you're outside it's a bit of a box you don't know how how it works um and you're not your role is not to be the master of the effects your role is I'm a working artist I'm you know doing this job that you you know would like to be doing mm-hmm. um and or similar to what you want like to be in the works with or they do what you want to be doing so mm-hmm. for example as a composer I could mentor potentially a lighter mm-hmm. I'm not a Alliance, but you know they know. I know what writers do, and I talk to writers every day. So, you know that would that could work. Mm-hmm. So the idea is you're you're giving them advice on you know the way to approach um, looking for work, applying for work. Um, they can send you their I mean showreels. I mean, you know you do a showreel if you send it for a job application. They if they don't like it, they just that's it you just don't hear anything from them so as a mentor what you can do is they can send you their reel or a shot that they want to put in their reel and you can you can say well you know tell them to perhaps change some things uh maybe take a shot out put another shot in um and things like that or even their letters that they're writing so and sometimes it can just be a chat i mean that's with with obviously with everyone with the coronavirus people you know not hiring for a while and yeah. you know, they were getting stressed and worried and you can just say hey you know i mean I, I, it's unprecedented so i don't really know what advice to give but it's just the, the reassurance that there's someone else there yeah, that, yeah, that cares about what's going on in in your life um so and as as it is quite rewarding because their questions <laughs> I, i think it's the same as with the same in the tutorials is whenever you try and explain something to someone else mm-hmm. you learn and the yeah. more junior the person The more you have to break it down, the more you actually learn. Um, because they, if they ask you a difficult question and you have to think about it, then maybe you even have to ask your colleagues <laughs> yeah, or yeah. supervisor if you can't answer it directly. Right. And then in that situation, you've suddenly, you know, you've suddenly been inspired to to gain some new knowledge that you otherwise wouldn't have acquired. <laughs> awesome! Yeah, 
and prospella actually uh, is very useful for mentors and mentee also yeah absolutely and for the mentees i think it's i, I would have loved to have had something similar when i was starting i had there were vfx forums there was one which it closed down um before i started but i remember a few really senior artists that took the time to write me mm-hmm. a guide to what i was doing because i was in the, i had a, obviously a, an unusual background of you know i'd done a bit of everything within sort of film with my own short films and things but mm-hmm. no had no professional experience really and and no skills that were at a professional level and i was just starting so i was a beginner but also in this funny position so they they were able to give me advice that was really solid and concrete yeah. based on the experience so yeah i know like uh, python is a useful or handy thing uh, for a compositor so what all are the ways one compositor can use uh, python knowledge in his work okay so it does it, it does depend on on the kind of um, facility you're in uh, in a bigger facility obviously a lot of scripting is already done um still there are things you can you can set up I and mean, in a simple python loop um you know if you just want to for example you bring in uh, at one of us they use a aces um color space a lot of things they come in with default color space of a quick time reference quick time and the default color space errors out and and if you've got a bunch of quick times you want to just like look at them in raw you can just use a simple python loop and even set it to a hotkey and bam you know yeah. they're all raw and they all read correctly so something that could be annoying that you have to open all these read nodes and click 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 click, click all these <laughs> yeah. checkboxes actually becomes one one step yeah. um so you can set up really simple loops that do like very quick things or set the b box to b because mm. you know, your yeah. bounding boxes can get bigger and bigger Basically, and bigger yeah. so lots of things you can set up or even just having a hotkey for the um unprimo primo nodes yeah. How many hung primo and primo notes? And you know that tab. Da, da, da. Just, <laughs> at the moment, at the moment, I always have it. So U is the U makes an uh, unprimo and control U makes a primo, for example. And then you know you can do U color gray U G U control U, and you've got unprimo grades <laughs> and primo. So in three buttons. So you know it's, it can be handy for that way. um if you're in a small facility you don't mm-hmm. have a pipeline then then you can do like deeper cooler things i mean at, at molinaire they didn't really have any kind of i had to do a lot of the pipeline stuff myself mm-hmm. so is things like creating the right notes that automatically name things correctly yeah so the naming was consistent you could even adapt that sometimes from the client you get client specifications mm-hmm. so some clients for example they would in the version number they'd have a number that was the vendor mm-hmm. yeah so like our vendor we were vendor number 5 so mm-hmm. instead of v001 it might be v0 v5001 oh, because yeah. we're vendor 5001 mm-hmm. so examples like that you could script and then all the artists using it would do it it could make a quick time with burnings um with the bringing in the lot from from di So it could do all of that stuff and that could all be done it could all be scripted in python and so it becomes very easy to make version zeros lots of really annoying tedious tasks that you can just avoid um essentially yeah. and and a lot of sort of you know, things error when you type that I mean, if you if you just use nuke out of the box with no scripting mm-hmm. it's kind of awful to make a right node you have to type it in and then make the remember to make switch on to make folders <laughs> and and type the name and type the frame padding and 
all of that. And if you make one typo in any of that, you know, your, your, your file is going to have some ridiculous name. So, or be in completely the wrong folder. Yeah. <laughs> so that stuff is really handy for that, uh, that kind of facility. Like I said, a bigger facility, you don't even need, you don't need that. Yeah. But you can, there's things you can do in a, even in a bigger place. Some really big corporate things, they won't let you actually do that unless you're a leader or supervisor. But even then, you can you can propose something to a leader or supervisor. Now, some I, I mean, I have some technical questions to ask you. And yeah. So, I mean, what are some of your favorite gizmos uh, inside Nuke? Okay, so it's actually a plugin, but probably is reduced noise. Yeah. The Neat Video, because, I mean, it's amazing. And when the, you... Compare it to Nukes Denoise. I mean, I know they've improved it and they were trying to make it on par with me, but Nibido just blows it out of the water. It is amazing and it is so handy that you can accurately get rid of grain you and know, keep no, so no. much detail, especially yeah. if you actually, if you really want to, you can go in the settings. But even the default is amazing and you can go in there and actually make it better if you want yeah. to. Um, Not only can beat reduce noise, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, neat video. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, you can um, you can do things to, to make it better. Like you can go back into the original color space of the camera, for example, and it generally gives you a better result. Um, or at least if you go back to the primaries of the camera, mm-hmm. it gives you a better result and then come back. But um, that's great. There's another one also about grain, um, which is a, which is actually a gizmo das grain. Yeah, yeah, which is um, it'll analyze the grain and then do that. Um, I've used, looked at different ways of doing grain. I, I built a gizmo based on um, workflow of a supervisor. Oh, I've forgotten the name, but I did credit him in the gizmo um, mm-hmm. called Comparative Grain, which is just the idea of, you know, um, you from your degrained mm-hmm. um, plate from the original plate and you get the grain and then you plus it back in. And so yeah. that gives you the original grain. But if you're doing paint outs or cleanup, you actually sometimes get the high contrast areas coming back with yeah. the grain, yeah. which is problematic. Mm-hmm. So there's all these techniques, which most facilities have some version of where you essentially have a difference map between the denoise plate and the denoise comp. Mm-hmm. And then in that difference, you use some kind of artificial grain. And then yeah. um, in the areas that are yeah. you just use the plus back the original grain within yeah. some kind of tolerance. So that's grain is kind of a, a step up from that because you can also take the grain and um, use a raw noise, noise pattern to scatter it about. And and you can also combine that with the other workflows. So that's that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little script called Corner Pin to Matrix, which I think is great. If you bring in a track from Mocha, mm-hmm. and you've got Corner Pin, then you can actually export the the data as matrix data. So you can put the data directly into a rotoplane node or roto node, a oh, spline nice. warp node, a grid warp node. And then that, it has the corner pin data in it. So, you know, if you're rotating something, um, it will follow the corner pin track without having another node on it. And with a a warp as well, you know, so you could have um, someone's head turning Mm -hmm. and the grid warp will track to the side and you can then have an adjustment that actually works as they turn. So that's amazing. Um, More specific, again, low plugin, but the the face builder, face tracker thing, Mm, that's... Yeah, that's just brilliant. I mean, it's really it's magic. You can make a head and you, you can make right? a head and track it in like really easily. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a nice one. Mm-hmm. Um, Any other tools? Those are, those are 
The ones that spring to mind as the, <laughs> the coolest ones. Yeah, you, you can send me some list if you have. So I'll add yeah. those uh, in my description. I mean, in the video description, so that people can go over there and check it. If you have, oh, it's so another really easy, simple one, but it's really, really useful. It's just edge graphing. It's really basic. Mm-hmm. It's like a fractal, or there's a, there are lots of variants of this idea of like a fractal blur or something similar. Yeah. Um, and just if you're if you're putting in a patch. Sometimes you don't even even a soft mat is you know isn't going to work. What you want is some kind of jagged edge <laughs> yeah. patch. Yeah. Um, the only disadvantage is it works with a patch that's mm-hmm. tracked on, um, but because the noise pattern is static, you can't use it for a roto. So if you're rotoing a bear, you can't have, the no, the noise won't stick to your yeah, roto yeah. as it double green, yeah. yeah. So it's for patches, not for roto. But it's actually really handy, and you can. You can easily jump inside it, change it from just being alpha to being RGB, and use it just to like mess up something that's too <laughs> neat and tidy. So that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, and I tell you, really, there's a one by Richard Fraser. Richard Fraser is a, a supervisor, I think, at Blue Ball or something like that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. He might move on. Who knows? But um, this uh, is essentially it, rebuild frames. So it will, mm-hmm. what it uses in Upflow. Mm-hmm. It just uses a script, so it will. If you've got a bad frame, mm-hmm. uh, for example, it's damaged in the camera. Okay. This is the original purpose. It will make um, use a time warp node, make an expression. You select which frames are bad, and then it will use an optical flow to try and invent a new frame. So it's using the retime technology, mm-hmm. and I've used that. I, I've actually modified it a little bit so that there's also the option of using a Chronos because obviously Chronos is better quality. But apart from what it's originally designed for, you can also use it sometimes as a kind of quick morph or, or something between two patches or, or all kinds of things you can use it to just fill a gap um, of one frame so or to transition from one thing to another. So it can be really, really, really handy. Or even just a bad frame of CG sometimes. I mean, in, at least for a temp, you know, you can if, yeah. get you a version that can be shown as a as a work in progress and then you know CG can sort out the problem cool. for the final. Yeah. So like uh, my next question is like if you're getting a green screen footage or a blue screen footage, which is your favorite method in Nuke or in any other software for keying that footage? Yeah, yeah so uh, the first thing with any kind of green screen, blue screen is divide and conquer, right? You look at the different areas, for example, some areas often are brighter, some areas are darker off the screen because it's not lit perfectly, some areas yeah. are creasing. Uh, um, and the subject as well, from the dark and lighter. For example, here I've got this black hoodie. Mm-hmm. You could probably lunar key that, right? And then yeah. obviously my bald head has got a big reflection on it. Um, that would probably, if this, if it was a green screen behind me, that would probably be a, a big green reflection. Yeah. And so you would, you would probably have to rotate, like a bald head, I would just probably rotate <laughs> it, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, in your case, um, you've got obviously some stray hair, so you've got hair detail, but your hair is dark, so it's fairly, probably fairly easy. To, probably can be fairly easy to mm-hmm. unless there's a dark shadow, like yeah. a, a dark crease in the green screen. Um, and then you, so you firstly divide it up and think about the different areas, mm-hmm. um, and then it's usually some combination of there'll be an edge key, which will probably be a, a key light or IBK, mm-hmm. um, and then a core key, which would be prime out or something. Or if I've got roto, I'll use the roto. Um, or some combination of the two. Um, and then I would also probably use for some extra kind of hair detail stuff like uh, um, something like an additive key, which yeah. could just be something you just build yourself without using any gizmos. You could just simply take the green um, and make it, you make it, essentially you make it black 
you grade it to be black and then you can just plus that onto the background um, or you can make it white, clamp it to white and multiply that to get the dark areas. Um, so you do editing manually or is there any gizmo you for could, that? You could just, yeah, I would normally just build it manually because okay. even with a plus, if you don't clamp the blacks, that will give you dark detail too. But there are some uh, gizmos that make it easier. Like there's a hair care gizmo. Um, I think it's going to be quite useful for like giving you extra because they do a few like clever tricks as well but i think there's something i think you should always learn how to build the thing yourself uh, because there's sometimes the gizmos because you don't know all the nodes that are inside and everything that they're doing when you have a problem mm -hmm. when it doesn't work you don't know why mm -hmm. when you do it yourself you kind of you've worked out okay and you can it's much easier to solve solve the issues um, and so the idea is that you do the additive key on the, onto the background and then you put your standard key usually on top, yeah. um, essentially. And that's, that's kind of... <laughs> and it's some process of that and then you just sort of battle through it and all the rest of it <laughs> until yeah. it's done. Yeah, got it. So uh, do you prefer to do uh, Rotopane for your own comp shots uh, or is it like a tedious task for you? Um, I think... Uh, well, it's, it can be tedious. I don't think it's... First thing I'd say, it's not junior. It's not a junior job because it's easy. It's a junior job because no one wants to do it. So, <laughs> so paint out, clean up shots can be the hardest shots, harder than a lot of compositing shots, yeah. without a doubt. Um, the one advantage you have over comp shots is there. It's a, it's a very clear target. Whereas with a uh, a comp shot, you know, like the the brief could change. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, well, if I if you said if they said remove this microphone. Mm -hmm. You move the microphone, there's all the problems of getting the plant back, but that's the goal, that's it. And then they, the worst thing is, get, is add more things, like get rid of that um, <laughs> yeah. alarm at the back or whatever. <laughs> but whereas with a comp, you know, it could be you put in a a, 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 a castle and then they, they want a different castle or you put in a TG dragon and then they change the colour of the dragon and everything changes or the animation changes yeah. or... It, the, you have blue fire becomes red fire or vice versa. So there are all sorts of um, creative changes that can happen in comp. Going back to whether I prefer to do my own cleanup, it depends how much is, is, a, is a simple answer. If it's if it's quick and easy, I would rather do it myself because if it's if it's relative, if it's something I can do in like an, an, an hour or mm. two hours, I would pro probably rather do it myself. I mean, the company might actually prefer to give it to prep because they might have that might be how the resources are and you know it's probably expensive to get me to do the prep and roto but you know if, if i can do the roto in like half an hour or less or if I, because at the end of the day if i want roto i have to i have to create a brief to yeah. give to the to my supervisor and that has to go then to to, to the department so i'll probably make a still and, and you know flag like you know circle around the things that need to be cleaned up what needs to be roto you have to write a brief um, sometimes roto you don't always want it on the same level there might be a reason why i might need separate roto for mm -hmm. you know my hood and my head yeah. for example yeah um and, and it might that might not come through to the roto department and you get the roto you've got the roto for me that's perfect but mm -hmm. I, there's no separation between my neck and the hood and if i need to put got you it. know something between got them it. i can't or mm -hmm. i still have to do roto myself yeah so if i can do it in you know in a short amount of time i would rather do it myself now i i'll be honest i don't want to spend like a whole day rotoring or a whole day doing um, paint, paint out. Yeah. I actually, I don't find rotor tedious, weirdly, because I find it 
kind of relaxing. You don't have to think very much. I mean, I can put on a podcast. I can have like a deep chat with my colleagues if I'm talking. Yeah. Um, whereas if I'm compositing, you can't really have like, you can have like dumb sort of banter, but you can't really have like a, a really in a deep conversation because you need to concentrate on yeah. what you're actually doing. Roto, you don't really need to think about very much. So if, I'm, if you're doing Roto, um, clean up is a bit of both because when you're actually painting, again, it's more like almost meditative, just paint, 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 paint. When you actually start constructing how the cleanup shot is yeah. going to work, that's quite, you have to really think about that. It's like a puzzle. Parallel um, so projection and all, yeah. But I find there is something about if you have a bit of time to, because I don't like to not be working. If I'm at work, then I want to do my job, finish it and, and, and then stop. I don't like to work like stupid hours. I know it's quite common in the industry, but I try and keep it to no as normal hours as possible. I like to be working when I'm at work. Mm-hmm. But if I'm rotoing, I can actually, you know, still, you know, have a listen to a podcast that's interesting, learn something new, um, <laughs> and just roto, 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 you know, and, and you, you don't really have to think. Once you've, once you've got, once you've done enough roto, which I'm sure you have, and I'm sure all of us have, uh, you, you, you don't need to think really. You just like, boom, 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 yeah. uh, and do it. And so, you know, the, the process of actually requesting. Having said that, I've had some shots where the cleanup was insane. Mm-hmm. I did a shot on Pinocchio where, um, which you'll see on one of us is really, my, it'll be on my next show, but, not this, but the rig was, he had a big helmet and then a big metal nose. Oh, yeah. Every, mm-hmm. And it's all in front of his face. And, you know, the comp was interesting because mm-hmm. there's lots of CG, and the, but the cleanup, I've got to say, Personally, the cleanup, and I don't know who the artist was, but if you're watching this, then you're amazing. And I was really amazingly impressed by that work because I know it's a nightmare when you've got something in front of the, the main actor's face and, and clothing that's that's moving yeah. and folding and all of that stuff. So, you know, having said that, you know, it's actually quite nice to have someone else do that. Yeah, <laughs> lots of, lots of patience. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have minded, actually, I wouldn't have minded doing it if I'd been assigned the time to do it, but I'm, I'm sure it was quite a lot of time. Yeah. It was, it was, Sure. The, the reason why I asked this question is like, uh, uh, I was a rotopaint artist for almost seven years and then I moved into comm. So when I was doing compositing, my knowledge in rotopaint really helped me. And one more thing I would like to know is like, uh, you prefer to do roto in Nuke or you do roto in Mocha or Silhouette? So I I actually um, never use Silhouette. So I don't know how to use Silhouette and I, <laughs> and I probably never will at this point. Um, I use Mocha a lot, but normally I do the track in Mocha and then like using something like the corner pins and matrix. Yeah. And then it's, it's all the advantages of rotoping in Mocha because you have the, um, you have the actual corner pin data within the roto. Um, and so you get that efficiency that you would have if you did it in Mocha. Um, and that's just because sometimes, um, I guess when you're as a compositor doing roto, you have the advantage of a roto artist and that you know exactly what you need, how accurate it needs to be, how soft the edge needs to be, um, uh, and so on, which the roto artist just kind of has to kind of go for worst case scenario. So that's another thing that a roto, if you're doing roto or paint for a compositor, you end up doing more work mm, than yeah. if you're doing it for yourself. Because as a compositor, what you try and do is you try and do the minimum amount of paint out, the minimum amount of roto that you can. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, I tend to do it in you because I can immediately see, okay, I need a bit more, I need a bit more, I don't need any more, I can stop. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, and I'm just, I've 
things is unique for a long time so <laughs> got it got it so and uh, one more question is like which is your favorite tracking option or tracking method or tracking software and why okay so as a composer my favorite is actually mocha because uh-huh. um i'm usually usually i try and I mean, it might be that I receive match move and then it's just use the match move data. And yeah. if I did, if I'm at a smaller place where you, you have to do it yourself, then my approach would be to use the simplest approach and then escalate as you need to. So if you can get away with a one-point tracker, use a one-point tracker. Mocha is like such a standard, I would use it all the time, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then then you might think about, well, actually, you know, you might need to camera track. And sometimes you, you, you should know once you've got which one you need to go for for any given shot. But um, I would probably, if I had to then do a camera track, I would probably use PFTrack because I know it as mm-hmm. a, the only software apart from Nuke. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, you know, MatchMover is used 3D. But I thought that 3D is really for, like, your MatchMover and that's your job because it's quite a, a beast to, to learn. Yeah. Um, so I'd probably just use the Nuke X camera tracker. But yeah. mostly, I... Um, for most of the tracking I do as a compositor, it's probably going to be Mocha. Although I use the smart fixes a lot. Since smart fixes have come into Nuke, I've used them all over the place. Because the smart fixes, I think, are, um, have been a fantastic addition. I mean, I use them sort of all the time for all kinds of things. I mean, they have limitations. Like, they don't deal with occlusions very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're, they're still really for things and things like, you know, stuff in people's jackets. I mean, I'm interested you- now the new mock has got some bendy stuff. Yeah. Which I've not played with. You heard but about the like. new update in Mocha Pro 2021, the power yeah. match option. Yeah, that looks that looks really impressive. I, yeah. I, I say I haven't touched it. I saw your video on it, which actually yeah, you know, I tried it and it's 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 really working well. Other thing I'd say about tracking, it's really good to learn to use ST maps, yeah. um, because. Once you can understand ST maps, you can, for example, using smart vectors and smart vectors work for most of your shop, but for a section they don't work, you can actually key mix two ST maps. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, smart vectors for the bit that, that uses smart vectors, and then you might have even a mocker track or um, a one point tracker, but you you can combine them with a, uh, a ST map. And speaking of that, the favorite gizmos, jumping back to favorite gizmos, but my absolute favorite gizmo at the moment is the thing that my supervisor on um, Godmother showed me, which is called iTransform. iTransform, and yeah. it is so good. Like it's just, it's basically like a um, iDisplay. Sorry, not iTransform. iTransform is the node in you, which I never use. I use a QMix, but iDisplay is basically a similar idea to the iTransform, or if you have a QMix with a transform in it. Mm-hmm. but it uses displacement. So, you know, sometimes if if you've got CG and the holdouts aren't quite correct, you just need to move the, push the CG a, a few pixels mm-hmm. towards the edge. Yeah. And you can do that in a very seamless way because you can be quite subtle with it. You can just sort of move things a little bit. Um, and so it's it's like a, a godsend. Honestly, it saved me so much time. I mean, you can do this with spline warps and gurus, but they're so much heavier. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you get crashes. This is like as fast as using a transform, yeah. but you've got all that, you know, you can do distortion. So I, I think I try, I displace, I displace is my favorite gizmo of all time. <laughs> Thank I you for know. sharing that. Yeah. Um, so if I just want to learn Python, uh, for learning Python basics, uh, where should I start first? So I would start with a, a 
something called Automate the Boring Stuff with Python. Let me just find the author actually. Well, give me one second. Yeah, you can share um, me the link of that and I will add that in the description so anyone can find. I would say Automate the Boring Stuff with Python, which there's a, there's a, a website with most of the chapters for free. There's a Udemy course, mm-hmm. which is pretty cheap and often free. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Ali Sweetgard, Sweetgard, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Ali Sweetgard and... I'm just getting his name wrong, so I'm not going to say his name. Delete the bit where I say his name. Just automate the boring stuff with Python. I would start with automate the boring stuff with Python, which yeah. has a free online uh, ebook. It has a an ebook you can purchase, and it has a Udemy course, video course you can purchase, depending on which is probably a bit more helpful if you're a complete mm-hmm. beginner. But this is just about Python in general. Yeah, I find if you learn Python um, itself then you can just look at the, the manual for actually how to apply Python within Nuke and just find the things that you want to, mm-hmm. to do within Nuke itself. Yeah. Um, and also when you download scripts or if you're using scripts that you've downloaded from other people, you can just um, you can just have a look at them and read them and like learn, you know, for example, try and copy them, change the bits that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way. Look at the really important scripts. There are some more specific to Nuke. Uh, Victor Perez has one on FX PhD. Um, ben, uh, uh, somebody, Ben, Ben McEwen. Ben McEwen. Python for has you. one, yeah. which I haven't done, but I did do Ben McEwen's Git course. And yeah, the Git, second one. If you yeah. already know Python to a certain level, Git is actually very handy. Mm-hmm. It's a versioning tool, um, and so it's very important if you're building something bigger. Mm-hmm. Then it's actually really, really useful. Um, it's yeah. a good way to keep all of your .dot nuke um, organized, and you know, yeah. if you make changes and you break something, you can roll back very easily. Yeah. So that that's really handy to know. Um, so that's kind of it. And the reason I would say learn Python outside of Nuke is that if you then want to use Python within another software. Mm-hmm. For example, Houdini or Blender or Maya, or just within a pipeline itself, mm-hmm. um, then you can you can do that also. Um, something really basic. I mean, a really basic Python script that I have that I use all the time is just to delete empty folders. Mm, yeah, because you often want to have a folder structure that's very organised with a place for everything. Mm-hmm. But when you archive a project. Um, it can be annoying to look through all these empty folders within an old project and, and maybe you only, because you maybe you made a 3D folder for every shot, but you don't have 3D in every shot. Yeah. So if when you finish the project, before you archive it, you run this script, delete the empty folders, and you know that every folder you look in will have a file in it. <laughs> it might not be the file you want, but you, you're not wasting time yeah. looking at empty folders, which is, is actually... It's kind of handy. So that's an example. It's, it's useful to know Python outside of Nuke, um, not just within Nuke. Got it, got it. I mean, uh, if you could share that uh, link of those courses and yeah. those PDFs, I will add that in the description and it will be useful for okay. the people who are watching this podcast. So, yeah, uh, yeah. so my next question is like, um, it's about the system configuration and the requirements. And so, if I want to get into animation and visual effects industry, I definitely need to purchase a machine for me so that I can practice, I can learn things over there. So can you give some insights uh, about like machine, what machine configuration we need to buy? I thought a lot about this question when, when I was sent it because I, I don't want to say something that's going to go out of date very quickly and say specifically buy this graphics card and buy this. So I would say the first thing 
um, if you're if you're not learning and you're doing it purely for work, then mm-hmm. you might want to think about: Do I need a, a workstation mm-hmm. that does all the machine? Because, for example, a lot of us are working from home, but very often we're using a VPN connection to work, yeah, and using the workstation in the office to do all the actual mm-hmm. that's running Nuke or Mile or Houdini or whatever. In that situation, then most of your money um, that you're going to spend on your home setup should be about your internet connection, you know, your your router, your um, having a good Wacom if you can't borrow one from from your employer, mm-hmm. having a good monitor, um, and, yeah. and 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 having a nice, uh, comfortable keyboard, a nice desk. Um, Mic- microphone, which, by the way, you've seen the microphone in the shot. I've not been using that microphone the whole time because Windows <laughs> updates are awful. Every yeah. time it updates, it stops um, <laughs> uh, USB microphones from working. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but I would say that you know, if you don't need the machine itself to be you know powerful, don't spend the money there. Spend it on making your space nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, and but. If you're doing projects, if you're actually working on the machine, whether it's personal projects or you're learning, um, then I would start with the system requirements for the software you're using. Right? So go on to the Foundry website, look at what it what it asks for, mm-hmm. and then look at the way to build a machine. I mean, the advantage of using um, if you're if you're not moving around too much, then probably a workstation is better because you get more bang for your buck, you get more power for your money and it's easier to add things if you can't afford the best graphics card you can add it later you can add more ram later um if you buy a mac they are great in that you don't they're very easy to configure very easy to work with but if you then need a more powerful mac you need to buy a new mac you can't (laughs) add to it um which can be frustrating um but also find out if the software supports the advantages of of that new thing. For example, the new M1 Max is really interesting because they're really fast, but at the moment, I don't know if that's even supported within new. So, and again, there's the, the problem, it's all proprietary. Um, mm-hmm. There are sort of trial and true things. Um, definitely, I would look at, for Nuke, having a lot of RAM, especially, I mean, if you're, and also think about your job. So if your job is Roto, mm-hmm. then you are probably, and you're using, you probably want a lot of RAM because you want to cache a lot of footage mm-hmm. uh, back and forth. You want a reasonably fast processor. Yeah. You might not be using the graphics card for Nuke. You, mm-hmm. I think you do use GPU acceleration in Mocha and possibly in Silhouette. Mm-hmm. So then you, then you, then you start to think about having a, a decent graphics card. If you're doing 3D, if you're lighter, then you want to think about like the RTX cards because you know you want to think about like um, having real-time ray tracing and those things, which are really, really powerful mm-hmm. um, workflows. Um, so there's. I think you just need to stop and think about what software you're using, what job you're doing, yeah. and be very targeted because you could spend a lot of money on a computer, and mm-hmm. you know you you want to spend enough money that you, you can make that money back for learning. Any gaming computer is good enough, yeah. but if you can play if you can play games on it, then you can do you can learn all the software on it. And I, and I, I wouldn't go more than that. I just buy the, a, a, like a mid range even a low-end gaming machine for learning. Because actually, mm-hmm. not having the best machine is good for learning as well. Because one thing, uh, when you have the really powerful machine in your office, you'll be given 4K footage or 6K footage, <laughs> or <laughs> you'll be asked to do things super fast. Yeah. And you'll, you'll, your machine will never be powerful enough. So it's good to get used from the beginning to having a machine that's not powerful. <laughs> if you buy the, the high-end machine, 
you're used to having your you know you, you can get some really bad habits you can not be not be pre-rendering yeah. you know, having loads of heavy nodes in a row because it doesn't matter because you're on your little tutorial footage it's fine <laughs> at the moment that you then go into professional environment you're going to have your neat reduced neat video active followed by a lens distortion and a, yeah. you know a, and a bunch of warp nodes and some overflow and and then the machine is going to fall over the 4k <laughs> footage so having this idea of having the, the, the just the most basic machine possible and then you have to as soon as you put in a heavy node you you have to think about you, you learn quickly which nodes are heavy and that's important to know actually in, in the week. awesome awesome yeah so almost one more than one hour we are speaking and now final two questions is like a uh, uh, few tips for artists for making their life to ease so to make your life easier as, a, as an artist um so uh i would say from the back it's just make sure that you're doing the right thing like check the brief because mm-hmm. the easiest way you can make your life difficult is to do a lot of work that isn't what you were asked to do so you know if you're given and and one way also is to compare the tasks you're given to the time that you're assigned to do it so if you're asked to do some clean up and and it, and you're given 2 hours and you think well there's no way I could do that in 2 hours well just check that they ha- that is what they've requested that you do because it might be that you're trying to you know, you're you're thinking that you need to do to paint out more things than than you need to do um and it might be that the what you actually need to do is much simpler and it can be done within 2 hours if it can't there might be another reason for that it might be underbid because the uh, very often the shots are bid on a kind of average so if you've got um a sign time you want to stick to that on average it, but i wouldn't it's not necessarily wrong that one particular shot will take longer than the assigned time but you generally speaking if all of your shots take longer than the assigned time then you have a problem on average you should be like for those shots that take longer there should be shots that take less time than than was bid so mm-hmm. you want to be around that time Uh, and the second thing is try and um try and maintain your concentration and um so if you've got four shots um and you're assigned one day to do four shots then that means you've got two hours for each shot to do an eight hour day you know try and think about having like a normal office hour work day <laughs> and try and think how you can do your work within that day sometimes you can't you may be right at the end of a project and you will work late but don't make that the standard way of working and don't and and definitely if you're you know if you're staying 12 14 hours but you're you know a lot of that time you're browsing on the internet why are you doing that you know like <laughs> get your work done and then go yeah and take your breaks out of away from your desk if you can um another thing is just like labeling naming get that stuff right like labeling naming um because you know you may come back to that script later and you might have forgotten everything you may be asked to make a change um a creative change later that you you need to find out think about what change try and think about what changes you might be asked to give mm-hmm. and give yourself the controls build yourself the controls to do that even if it takes a little bit longer like putting that control so if they want to change the color of the dragon they can um quick things to to scale something up or down without breaking the animation so don't have one transform that scales it mm-hmm. and one that animates it have one that does the scaling yeah. that's that's upstream of the animation so that you know the animation won't break if they say can you make that a little bit smaller 
Yeah. Whereas if you put them in one node, you're kind of like you're you're, you're screwed. Um, so think, try and try and preempt what briefs uh, you get, and communicate with people. Like talk to people. If the task is you can't do it in the time that they're expecting you to do it, or you can't do it at all, or you know the network is down and you can't work, you know let someone know and don't let them know. Like the time not to let them know is just before delivery or just before dailies or just before client review. Those are not the times to let them know. You let them know as soon as the shot lands on your desk, as soon as the problem um, occurs. You know, as soon as you've spent like 10, 15 minutes on the shot, yeah. you should start to get an idea if you're going to have problems. You think, oh my God, this shot, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, if you put something into marker that you expect to track in five minutes and you find that it just does not track, and sometimes it just, sometimes there are shots that are hard to track, but sometimes there are shots that are hard to track. For yeah. no apparent reason, you know, like energy or like, you know, you, and then think like this something is the like easiest that. shot, but it will not give that result. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. And it, and if you, if you see that, then you just need to let someone know it might be something weird in the compression or, you know, some, yeah. some weird artifact that's causing these issues of, and, and maybe there's a solution somewhere else. <laughs> so just and sometimes you just like another artist has a different way of doing things that might in this approach be better yeah. like normally Moku is way better than the new explainer tracker yeah. it's like in not, but in one or two shots it's the other way around it just, just is <laughs> I don't know why yeah. so you know so just try different things um, but really make sure people know this one those are the main things communication is key do the job that you're asked to do try and do it in the time that you're given and make sure that you are able to change things if they're and the second thing is a certain bit of detachment mm -hmm. you know it is art but it's not your art you're working for the artist who's yeah. the director or the client and they you know if they if they do something that you don't like you know you can't go oh no but that's rubbish i'm not doing that you know <laughs> you have to do it you have to be detached from the work enough yeah um don't be obsessed you know uh because you're not you're not you're um you might be part of great art, but you're not, you're not Leonardo da Vinci. You might be the guy in Leonardo da Vinci's studio who's painting the tree in the background of the great painting, but you're not, you're not the, the, the main artist. So you have to just like have, you know, the pride in your work to do good quality work, but also the detachment that, you know, if the client makes the decision that you hate, you think it's <laughs> yeah. awful. Well, you don't put it in your showreel, but that's the end of it. You know, like, just do it. You know, it is a job and you need to remember that it's a job. So, uh, like, uh, we have came up to the final question and I want to thank you for sharing all those insights with us. And yeah, I, I, I would like to listen or hear some suggestions from you uh, for making my content in my channel and also to improve my knowledge. Uh, so I would like to hear some suggestions. Okay, well, I think it's really good stuff. And I really like the fact that you have short um, content. I mean, this is probably the exception. I hope you cut it down because I'm talking talking further. But um, I really like the fact that you have these short tutorials, you know, because I think five, ten minute yeah. knowledge dumps are the best because very often you're an artist and it's like you're just stuck on one particular thing. You're like, oh, ah, there's someone. And you watch a video and you kind of, it's very nice to go, uh, five minutes, how do you use, you know, for example, I always use Mocha, but today Mocha's not using I'm going to try the new planar tracker. Well, I don't even know how to use it because I've never used it in my life. How do I use it? <laughs> yeah. And there's a, a five-minute video. What you don't want to watch is a one-hour tutorial of how to do <laughs> prep and roto yeah, uh, with like that one bit of information you want at 
47 minutes in. So um, I really like the fact that you create short content. I think mm. it's um, it's the best format, um, to be honest. Proving it, I mean, all I'd say is just, you know, I guess you're going to keep it up to date because things yeah. change. Um, and as things change, you know, you will change too and you will learn new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, improving your knowledge, I mean, just... You know, I mean, I think just keep the love, you know, like when you get bored of it and it starts to become tedious and you don't enjoy it anymore, you stop learning and, you know, it's time to move on. It, you need to move up or move on, you know, to, so when, you, when, you, when you're excited to be a rotor artist, you your first job in VFX, that's great. When you're so bored that you'd rather tear out your own teeth than, than, uh, than rotor or something, then really, you know, I'm going to leave VFX or you're going to move into the next job. Um, yeah. And you, if that, when you do that, that's you know at some point you're going to be learning to lead, mm-hmm. and you're going to be leading a team, and then you you know you might start doing content about that, and yeah. you know that that's something that no one there isn't enough of. So you know yeah. we'll see. When we, when we are stuck I'll, somewhere, I'll be watching. Yeah, when we are stuck <laughs> somewhere, we definitely need to think. Okay, time to grow. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because you you get bored, right? And and you know when you get bored that your your quality of work starts to go down. Like when yeah. you get to a point where you're like, I have been doing the same thing for a long time, yeah. and I'm not getting better, and I'm starting to get worse. And the worst thing about that is like the people that are junior to you start to catch you up and overtake you because they've got <laughs> you know they've got the hunger, the the the, the edge. Fashion, yeah. So that's when you need to sometimes sometimes you need to leave the, the facility that you're working for go go and work somewhere else. Sometimes you need to speak to your man, boss and ask to be you know put on a assigned to you know ask if they can give you a more senior role and if they can't you know you need to look for that somewhere else mm-hmm. um, yeah. or just a different kind of show. Um, you know, especially sometimes you could be really good at one thing that like you're really good at doing snow or whatever and then all you get is snow shots and <laughs> you know, just like say I don't want please don't give me any more snow shots I want to do something totally different or I've always done character you know CG characters I want to do some uh, <laughs> awesome. s- uh, stitching different shots together or something I, just you know whatever yeah awesome so yeah thank you once again for being with us in the podcast Oh, thank you and uh yeah sorry about the sound and the camera <laughs> no problem no problem uh yeah that's it so be safe and keep posting a lot of tutorials i mean a lot of things in your blog oh thank you uh you too manish uh, i hope to see you about i look forward to seeing this conversation and hopefully yeah. um it's useful to your audience and see you on the post i guess yeah bye bye